don't sell it, teach it, right? Teach it. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I can totally teach anything. So it really helped me reframe how I write like sales sales copy um, and things like that. I teach about what I'm offering rather than trying to sell it. And to me, that just feels a, a little, I don't know, it just feels better to me. I don't know why selling feels, I don't know, just it's not natural for me, I guess. Welcome. We are here. Academics, meaning business. That is why we're here. Today, I have Dr. Barbie Honeycutt. And last time with Dr. Kate Denial, maybe it's last time, I don't really know. But the episode with Dr. Kate Denial, I said, was really emotional for me. And I was really excited about it. Uh, this one I'm very excited about as well. Dr. Barbie Honeycutt is somebody who actually found me, I believe, on Twitter. And that means that I am reaching people. <laughs> and so as I'm sitting here kind of recording this now, now Barbie has been in business a while and she's going to share what she's learned uh, from starting her consulting business, but also like how she was in uh, the academic world as a curriculum consultant and personal or sorry, professional development. And this conversation led us to think about like, you know, I think there's a lot of people who don't realize how much money quote unquote, is being made in the selling of course materials. And that that labor is really, in many cases, being created by the professors themselves as they design the content. So she had that awakening moment um, in thinking about like, oh, man, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of money, I could do this, right? Or I, I could do this better, or I could get paid for a workshop. So I love that background of her because I think she saw more of the money side of running um, running a university and doing professional development. So I think that that's really unique. She's also been doing this a while. And for her to find me and listen to this podcast and be inspired by the stories of the people that have come, um, come before her, uh, this just makes me more than just giddy thinking about uh, this reaching other people. So it was such a pleasure to talk to her. This is was a fantastic conversation, very flowing from many, you know, back and forth and I, you know, talking about ideas and talking about where she, you know, has been and where she's going. I mean, I just am very inspired having had this conversation. So I do hope that it is inspiring for all of you as well. And again, Dr. Barbie Honeycutt, thank you so much for being a follower for listening and tuning in and listening to every episode. So I hope you all enjoy this one. All right. Welcome, everyone. Uh, today, we have Dr. Barbie Honeycutt on. And this is so fun. We were just pre-chatting a little bit about how she was like my first Twitter follower. And I'm like, you know, I need to up my Twitter game because the academics, they love their Twitter. And so look for more uh, tweets and um, participation for me on my end. But Barbie is hanging out over there and she's doing some really cool stuff. And I don't know how she magically found me, but all I I know is I cannot wait to talk to you. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on the podcast. Yeah, um, it's really cool. So let's start with you and your academic background. Tell us a little bit about what you studied, what lights you up, what, you know, classroom teaching was like for you, anything you kind of want to touch on as it relates to, you know, how academics run their businesses. Uh, we need to know that background in academia. Okay, perfect. So um, actually, 
I actually posted this on the Facebook group where I had an internship at a teaching center in our on our campus um, when I was going for my master's degree. And, you know, I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, yes, I finally can, you know, kind of do something that's a little different than what I've done before. And I didn't really know much about what teaching and learning centers do on a campus. And so um, I did an internship there where I was able to help with like running the behind the scenes of, you know, faculty development workshops and and just sort of learning that world. And man, did that like strike a chord with me it was amazing I was mm. like I have found my place you know what was your master's in the master's actually believe it or not was in parks recreation and tourism management oh my god so how it's funny totally different than mm-hmm. than you know what I fell into um but what I loved about my undergrad degree and part of my master's degree was the programming piece like how you organize and and program events ah. and things like that like I loved it and part. so that is kind of related to teaching and especially the the like kind of where you went with your teaching Yes, I love is. that. It was just, you know, um, later we can probably talk about those sort of transferable skills. You know, things that move across mm-hmm. you know academics to business. And this was one of those cases where it was like, this is totally not in my field, but there were so many skills I learned that transferred into um, faculty development, which is what I do now. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So then, so you got excited by being a part of this teaching and learning center, mm-hmm. um, and kind of working there. What What was your next step after you realized that that was the thing you really wanted to do, and and maybe not go into parks and rec? Yes. So I wanted to, I went for the PhD. Like, I think I always mm. knew that I wanted to, um, early in my graduate career, I thought I wanted to be a professor. Um, but mm-hmm. pretty quickly, I learned that I, I like the other side of it, the supporting the faculty. Mm. Um, and so when I went for my PhD, I finished it. I think Dave was it who said he did his in like three years. I did the same yeah. thing. Like, I knew same exactly <laughs> what I wanted to do. And it was like, I'm just ready to get this done so I can get out there yeah. and do the do the work. And so my PhD focused on... Um, it was in higher education administration, um, mm. and, but it focused on my research focused on pedagogy um, and active learning in the classroom. Love it. <clears throat> so the, I kind of integrated, you know, my love for programming and um, and faculty development and student learning and kind of put that all together to kind of, you know, set up this career for myself. Um, and then after that, I once I got my Ph.D., I got a job as a, um, assistant director of graduate student programming. So I was supporting the TAs on our campus and helping them. Oh, I love that. There's a couple of episodes. I think we talk about how just un just uncommon that is. Yeah, you don't see a lot of campuses no. who support the TAs in the way that no. that we did. We had very um, structured programs and workshops, and they could earn a certificate. And we did future faculty programs, so we had a lot oh, of resources. Yeah, yeah. I because I am. Um, I think I talked about it in the episode with Valerie, but like I, yeah, we were a part of an internship program uh, with the community college system in the Southern California. It's actually San Diego specifically, and. Um, it was so rare to to have faculty interning, but the fact that I got to sit with, I had two professors that I got to watch their classes, two sociology professors teaching Social 101, watching, you know, having their lessons plans, being able to ask them after class why they, you know, whatever, anything I wanted uh, was so formative for me in, in, and it, because I think so much of it with grad school TA working as a TA, but also even just your first teaching gigs, it's like throw you to the wolves and like kind of figure it out. And so, you know, it's amazing what can happen when you get a little bit of support, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, we heard that time and time again from people you know, who graduated and they came back and they were like, oh my gosh, thank you for these thank programs yep. because I could hit the yep. 
ground running the first year, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And it's, man, it is related. Another theme that comes up all the time is the mental health aspect of being in higher ed. And, and so much of the culture is like, well, just figure it out, right? Right. You're smart enough. And so, uh, you know, there's always like, am I smart enough that are you measuring up? Am I enough? And the fact that these programs don't exist everywhere just even just makes that even more real. And um, so I love that you guys were countering that. Is there anything that was happening on campus? Was it, um, you know, some passionate professor? How do, how does a teaching and learning center get on a college campus? Actually, that's an interesting. Wow. So kind of yeah, thing. this one yeah. was in the mid, mid mid to late nineties, and there was some very passionate faculty who mm. saw the need for the teaching and learning center, and so um, one of the. Well, they did a, a search, you know, of course, for a director and they put together a, a great, very talented team who really, you know, was mm-hmm. able to make some movement there. But um, it wasn't maybe 15 years later before it was like a really established center. Mm-hmm. It had its own space on campus, you know, and faculty recognized it as more than a teaching and learning center. It was really about the Office of Faculty Development. And so uh-huh. you talk about all of those other programs that, you know, you bring to the That's table. That's a whole other it's angle whole that we can angle. get into talking Absolutely. about yeah, it was about that time that I moved over to the graduate school and we put mm. the graduate programs there um, because they were housed in a faculty center. And so our graduate students didn't really feel welcome there. Oh, um, yes. So when we moved yes, it to yes, the graduate yes. school, it exploded. I mean, we had so oh, much so much interest and so much need. And so um, that was a, a huge shift. But I think it really made a difference for the TAs. Oh, I bet. That's really cool. And I, yeah, and of course, it's all down to funding, right? right. And prioritizing your budgets and all of that like um you know what campuses make that something that they pursue and i know yeah so that i know that is obviously part of it it costs extra to do these kinds of things but that's really cool that you got to be a part of it um okay so tell us a little bit about that career if you want to tap into how long that was and kind of what kind of work you were doing um um and how yeah the span of that career let's see uh earned my phd in 2005 and I did that work all the way until I left in 2015. Um, okay, so, about ten years. Yeah, about ten years. And I had done some other work prior to that, sim- you know, in similar places like working for the teaching center um, as an admin, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But um, mm-hmm. but in 2011 was when I was you know, starting to get, um, I guess, restless might be a good word, <laughs> um, and uh-huh. was kind of ready for the next thing. So. Yeah. So tell us about that. (laughs) Um, Obviously, that's what I like diving into. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So like what what kind of you know, because I'm I'm noticing a theme and it's, you know, part of my own, you know, story and stuff as well. But like, you know, what kind of opportunities started showing up in your life as soon as you started to get that restlessness? Because I feel like once you kind of have that idea in your head, all of a sudden these things start popping up. and You're like, I could do that or I could do that. So what were some of your first kind of hints at maybe going out on your own a little bit um, or even the idea of starting a business? What did that what did that look like for you? Yeah. So I think, well, like you said, I was getting restless and, and I was just starting to feel like, um, the university was changing and I've heard you say mm. this and I've heard a lot of your guests yeah. say this, that there's this change that started to happen. And I was seeing, you know, uh, increasing egos, <laughs> um, <laughs> decreasing budgets, um, especially mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. we weren't tied to any sort of academic or research, you know, mission, we were support. Oh, um, so your yeah, your department was at threat or like your, the, your program was yes. at threat. And so that, that mm-hmm. was, um, that, that was challenging. There was, yeah. there was also, um, 
decreased opportunities for me to advance. And so it's not ah, like, the, interesting. you know, so like for, for faculty, you can move from, you know, assistant associate full, like there's some, there's yeah. some movement there, but that same opportunity, those same opportunities aren't available in the other side. In the of, admin uh, side. Right. Yeah. And so yep. sometimes you might be able to carve a path through, um, you know, to move up a little higher, like from an assistant director to a director type of position. But to move into those sort of associate dean or dean positions is really difficult without that faculty background, which I mm. didn't have nor wanted, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it was really, I just really started to see kind of the writing on the wall, you know, and, and yeah. I was like, you know, I don't want to move. Um, I'm not looking for mm. a faculty position. What do I want to do with this? And I've always been very entrepreneurial uh, driven, I guess, I always had that mindset. And so um, I, I just sort of put myself out there and said, you know, maybe maybe I could do these kinds of workshops that I do on this campus mm. for other campuses. So I, so can I tap into that entrepreneurial yeah. mindset thing? Where where did that show up for you in your life? And, <laughs> and why do you kind of connect with You're that? You're going to laugh. But when I was <laughs> little, when I was a child, I mean, I'm talking really young, six, seven years old, eight years old. I did two things with my sort of creative playtime, right? You all have, have that, right? I would set up mm-hmm. classrooms rooms and teach my dolls and teddy bears whatever I learned so I had that teacher mode but the other thing I did was like pretend like I held board meetings no (laughs) like like I was in charge you know it It was so funny it's so funny looking back but I didn't know what that was as a kid but now I know that it's like I wanted to lead things on my own Mm -hmm. you know um Mm -hmm. and man I love shows like the secret of my success growing up um any movies like that that were all about entrepreneurs and business and ideas like I just love that interesting. stuff yeah so that you were kind of gobbling it up your whole life yeah. and I, I can sense that it's funny because not choosing the faculty route but loving teaching and being like nope like I really want to help people make better teachers yeah that whole workshop professional development kind of angle um I'm sure you kind of run into uh you know, who do you hire as a speaker for professional development Mm -hmm. or like, who can we bring in? And so you see the business side, I would say, of like running curriculum. Um, I was just talking, I was at an event and I just met someone who was teaching at Long Beach State and then also teaching seventh grade. And like, I mean, just this amazing woman and we connected. Um, She's also does curriculum design and stuff. And she said something along those lines too, where she was like, I'm probably going to have her on. So it's probably a prequel (laughs) to her, to her story. Um, But she said something along those lines too, where it's like, I would get curriculum. Like I was in charge of purchasing curriculum. She was in health, uh, the health field, health education. And she was like, we were paying a thousand dollars for a bound text, like, you know, couple, you know, a couple hundred pages bound all awkwardly. And just for our English, I think she worked for the long, the Long Beach school district. And she was like, these like, you know, curriculum, quote unquote, would come through my desk and we were buying it for 80 English teachers. And that was $80,000. And she was like, it was funny because everyone in there was like, we could do this. Mm-hmm. Like, what is happening? <laughs> like, where's this money going? And so I think you guys have this different angle. Like me as a teacher, I just never thought about business side of anything. It was like, it was me, my students, you know, I was always wanting to improve. So I loved gobbling up the professional development, but I was not really thinking. And I was thinking, I was definitely thinking about how I could do it better at my campus, why people aren't engaged, like that kind of stuff. But it was never like, 
and that equals money, Lindsay. Right. Like someone will pay you right, for that. Right. So you kind of probably saw it a little bit. I did more. because we had we had to bring in the speakers. You know, I yeah. I had to do all the things that now people do when they hire me to come to their campus. I had to do all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, coordinate the travel and you know book the speaker and figure out you know what room we're going to use. Like I had to do all that stuff. And Sounds so like an event planning, exactly. Basically. And and yeah. so you know we I saw that side of it and I actually think that's really helped me as a speaker myself because now I know uh, I you know how what campuses are going to need and I can anticipate some of that in the you know before as we start getting um, as we start having conversations about me coming to campus so um, I think that's really helped me but for sure so I want to hear a little bit about kind of the first steps you started to take once you're like okay like there's something else out there I think I could do this what were some of the first things you did? Okay, so <laughs> this is this is amazing. So it was 2011, 2012, somewhere right in there. And I always had a fear of getting on an airplane. Like I was just oh. terrified of flying. But I was like, you know what? I got to suck this up. If I want to be able to do something bigger than what mm. I am, and I just had this total drive. I'm like, I got to do this. So I was 35 years old, stepped on an airplane for the first time, flew to my first invited event, which was for like 200 faculty it. and like... Like, that was all it took. I loved it. Um, mm. So I just had to like. Was get, this paid or it was, was this paid? Free? It was paid. It was paid. Yeah. So I'll back up and do how I got to that point. But I just have oh, yeah, to say yeah, yeah. that you know, like if you have listeners out there who are like afraid of something, just something you gotta mm-hmm. just you, you know, there's something on the other side of that that's amazing. So you just gotta go for yeah. it. Um, so, so since true. then, I've been to 37 states, some multiple times, um, and I travel and I just absolutely love it. So I think mm. I've kind of found a calling, I guess. <laughs> um, no, very cool but so yeah what got you yeah, to that but what got gig? me to that point was um you know i started thinking about this idea and sort of whiteboarding out what could this business be what is it that i want to do and i knew that i could lead these workshops because i did it on my campus and i'm like i can take this on the road i can go do these mm. things so let me figure out what that looks like and so i actually hired a graduate student um and oh, and smart. she built my my uh, website with me and so you know that's a great first step if people we're out there to kind of oh, that's a great yeah, not sure tip. what to Who's do taking notes on yeah. that i have not given that as a business yeah tip. so that's good I, I reached out graduate student put together and i still have her today as my web person so um, no it's been way amazing. that's yeah. awesome so um that was sort of the first step was just to sort of get a little website together and um you know overcome my fear of getting on an airplane sure um and then i pretty much just started to um reach out and write some like guest blog posts for websites that yeah. were bigger than mm-hmm. my, than me so I could kind of grow that audience and from there um, you know I, I went to a few conferences and led a few sessions and people started asking you know hey will you come to our campus and do this and the business was born kind of referrals and all yeah. of that yeah. yeah how does that speaking um because maybe this might be something people are interested in because I, I love talking to people who've started businesses that are kind of like academic adjacent right mm-hmm. like help support the institutions help support faculty and students and um, there's a lot of that coming up in my interviews so I'd love to hear like do you pitch like is it like what because then you were on the receiving end of it so you actually knew how to get the speaking gigs from schools and stuff what it, what does that circuit look like are you reaching out to different schools or yeah what does that look yeah, like yeah that's a great question so um 
so one of the ways that I, um, so it depends on the event and it depends on who you're working mm. with. And so I have a great relationship with one um, company who um, offers workshops and webinars and conferences for faculty. Mm. So that's what they do okay. as faculty development. So you were in with like a company who does yeah, that. Yeah, but not part of their company. Right, but they just, they, just um, they look for academic speakers and they will say, hey, will oh. you come and be our pre-conference workshop you know, leader, or will you do a webinar sure. for us? So I'm still, it's still my own business and they promote it that way, but it's nice because they're tapped into an audience of thousands of faculty, you know? Oh, of course. Um, and so go ahead. If you were to recommend to somebody listening, if they're like, Oh, this actually sounds like something I could totally do. Um, is there like a bunch of these kind of companies? Like what would you do to find I think something so. like so that? I, I was basically Googling, you know, and there's, it's so much sure. easier now than it was even seven years ago when I started all I of bet. this, um, to find those audience but you know you really if you're trying to get the word out about who you are as a speaker or whatever it is that you're trying to do um, you got to find a way to connect with those bigger groups and so um, you know I was able to write a guest blog post and that spun into will you do a webinar for us and that spun into wow this is great we do a, a pre-conference workshop for us come on in yeah, and yeah. so it like mm-hmm. kept leading to these opportunities and so uh, you know cool. it's been it's been a great relationship um, I promote their stuff because that uh, you know what they do is amazing and so um, you know I think if you can find an organization where you can do that and tap into those bigger audiences that's one way to get the word out about what you do um, and that's how nice. I get a lot of speaking engagements is you know just by going mm-hmm. to conferences and connecting with people and and they're saying hey come to my campus you know and I'm like okay <laughs> let's let's do it <laughs> <laughs> let's do it I like that um, so that's really cool so I'm I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about maybe some of the yeah let's talk about some of the the things that you find that translate really well like what I love about this conversation and the business you've built is you know you'd be surprised at uh, how many workshops are being run around the world, like and uh, on on so many different topics that people are paying for? And this is something we haven't really talked about on the show. But you know, you can throw up an Eventbrite, uh, you know, invitation, which is just a kind of event management. If you if you're not sure what that is, but you can buy tickets. And I I have friends in this industry that do that kind of thing, like they do local workshops and do decent with that. Now it's not something you can just like probably just throw up and it will magically happen. I mean, you built a following and you were doing some of that. So I do want to say that, but I just kind of want to point out this idea that like, you know, one of the like best skills that we have is the ability to teach mm-hmm. and these live kind of in-person things. There's a lot of business owners in this space that I'm in, in this coaching industry and in this kind of service industry that you've seen a lot of my guests as a part of it. Um, like with me, with helping them with courses, but you know, a lot of them don't know how to do live workshops either. Right. So it's, it's again, this other thing that we just kind of have um, ahead of some people and even events, like and how you can treat kind of a 30, 40 person event like a small classroom. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What does that look like? And we know that stuff in, in, in so many ways. So what do you see as some of these like translatable skills that you've picked so up? So you nailed it. So I think that teaching, teaching experience mm-hmm. is like, I call it your greatest competitive advantage. Like I, I, I think that, 
you know, I've started to kind of write about this and, and talk about this a little more, especially when I'm invited to talk with graduate students or postdocs. I'm like, when you mm, are given, when you are given the opportunity to teach, go do it, you know, um, mm. because so many of them are told, told, no, don't do it. It's a distraction from your research. Um, it takes away mm. from what you're here to do. And I'm like, nope, you need to do it because there are so many skills you learn in teaching that you will not learn mm-hmm. anywhere else. And so many of your guests have touched on that, um, like just being able to be in the moment, you know, in a room or read the room, like mm-hmm. you said, mm-hmm. um, just communication skills, taking complex information and organizing it in a way someone yep. can understand it. There's so many skills that transfer. So mm. I think that teaching. I love that. And I always, I've always been so grateful for the opportunity to teach, right? And if you start to think about it, and it, sure, if you're at a research institution, they're like, you know, you got to land the job or whatever. Um, and in some of these fields, very competitive, right? But at the same time, like, what an amazing opportunity just as a human being to be able to have a classroom, you know, teach what you need to you know teach what you want to teach I mean there's just such an amazing like not everyone will you know there's so many people that will never experience that whether you love it or not is another question but I like how you're like it doesn't matter it's not a distraction it's something that you will develop skills that so many other people in this world have never even had the chance to practice and they haven't even realized how valuable it is so I think I love the way that you highlight it like that well and uh, you know I always told graduate students when I was working with them more and I would tell new flat new faculty as well. I'm like, you know, rethink how, you know, if you're not looking for a job in academia, then rethink what your teaching skills mean Mm, and where they can go. And so I see a lot of that with, um, you know, your conversations about how how your guests are thinking about how their skills transfer. And I'm like, this this all falls under teaching, you know, how Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. keep records, how you manage things, how you give feedback, you know, Um, it all touches on the teaching experience. So I just, um, I think that that's a really valuable piece that, that, that's, that's right. A lot of us do not have the opportunity to to have that experience but Mm -hmm. if you get it take it it's Mm -hmm. it's a great experience even online it doesn't matter just try to get that experience there you go yeah that's key any other skills you can think of that you want to share with us um, I would say it's all wrapped up under those sort yeah, of transferable right. skills in teaching, especially with what I do. But, you know, even um, so this is just total sidebar, but I actually have a patent for a product that I invented that has nothing to do with teaching. At oh, my God, all. that's has, so rad. <laughs> it has to do with baking. OK, so it has nothing to do with anything. But I was so nervous to pitch the product mm. until my mentor that I was working with said, Barbie, don't sell it. Teach it. Teach it. Right. Teach it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, OK, well, I can totally teach anything. So it really helped me reframe how I write like sales, sales copy, um, uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. I teach about what I'm offering rather than trying to sell it. And to mm. me, that just feels a, a little, I don't know, it just feels better to me. Feels I don't know good. why selling feels, I don't know, yeah. just it's not natural for me, I guess. So. Sure. I hear you. But I think, you know, I, oh, there was a book that got me over that too. Cause I think, yeah, as teachers, we would be like, what? We're not selling. Um, I think it's called everyone's a salesman or something. Shoot. I'll have Derek look it up and he'll drop it in the show notes. And he basically said, we have this hang up because we think it has something to do with being a car salesman. And we're like kind of manipulating something because they don't know uh, what the real price is or whatever. And so whenever we think of salespeople, we see, we think of like these sleazy, um, people who have more information than us and that they take advantage of us. And he said that everyone thought the 
the like death of the salesman quote, right, is was going to happen and that there would be less salespeople. And he's like, there's actually more salespeople than ever before. And but what's interesting is the customer actually has access to a lot more information than they did before as well. So now you're dealing with knowledgeable people. So the way you do sales has to be in this like higher way anyways. And so it's actually the death of the like sleazier kind of sale, which isn't totally true, especially online. But he had this cool section and I'm thinking maybe I need to reread it having now started this podcast where he said he basically made the argument that pretty much we're all salesmen and teachers are salespeople in that they're selling um, the way to see the world through their discipline. Right. And you kind of do. And I, I mean, I when I really resonated with this as a social professor. And, you know, once I landed on that, my real goal of teaching was not, you know, some random facts about these dead theorists or whatever, but it was more about making people better humans. Right. Because, our world is social and how we interact with people and what we see structurally happening and what we do as an individual. So important. But so I always like was like, yep, I'm going to make these better human beings. I, w- I had to sell people on that idea. And I may not have sold everyone, you know, at, at, at to the end goal. But like I sold lots of people or I got them closer and someone else is going to be like, you know what I mean? And so I think I thought when he reframed it that way in this book, and I was like, instead of getting so hung up over the ideal, because I I think this is important to talk about um, with our audience too, you know, because now that you're out on the open marketplace, right, and you're not getting a salary, um, sales is a really important part of having a business. Uh, You're going to have to sell people. Now, you can choose, like Barbie's mentioning, to, to kind of frame it in a way that feels good for you. But I do think it's important to go go kind of and do that inner work and think about why am I so uncomfortable with it? Like at what moment, you know, where are some what are some of my awkward sales conversations? How did that make me feel? Why? What did the person say? Like, if you don't want to make people feel like that, what do you want to make people feel right? And so um, I'll link to that book because it really, really flipped because it for me, I was like, oh, wait, he's basically saying teachers can be salesmen, too. Like, oh, yeah, I kind of actually see uh, he had a way more fleshed out argument. But um, <laughs> I'm <laughs> well, going to definitely revisit it, it. It was earlier in my business when I was struggling more with the mindset and so forth. It's a big now, deal. Now yeah. I've gotten used to it and it is what it is. And I've, um, you know, like there's some campuses who can't afford to bring me in. I totally understand that. Mm, and it's mm-hmm. fine. You know, I'm in a place yeah. where that's fine with me. Um, but when you're for starting, you might have to take, you know, um, you know, uh, prices that are a little lower than what you might have thought, just so you can mm. kind of build up that experience. In. And then mm-hmm. you kind of work yep. your way up. And the more you're known, and the more you, you know, have that experience, then you can, you know, move up in whatever it is that you're doing with your pricing and so forth. But, um, yeah. you know, it took a while for me to just just get comfortable with with being able to say no, you know, I can't go mm. for this amount or whatever. Because, yeah, I bet. you know, it's overnight, it's away from my family, it's it's a flight, it's a taxi, so it's many a hotel, factors in play. you know, mm-hmm. yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, so I've gotten better about that. But like when I'm writing copy on a sales page, I really struggle with that more. And I've tried to really read a lot more and listen to more podcasts and listen to the advice of people. But it's tough when your audience is is an academic audience because you have to write differently for them. That's a really good point, too. Yeah. And, and, you know, any sales page writing, copywriting coach um, would say like you have to speak the way your audience speaks. Right. So. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So a lot of the advice out there is is really kind of 
there's definitely business to consumer and then business to other business owners. I found that because I'm selling to other business owners, I when I first started, I was like kind of academic and in my head about what I was doing, right. <laughs> like we do, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, you might have a little bit of an advantage that you get to be a little more academic, but then the people teaching it don't know how to write like that. So then you have to navigate the like the sell part. How do we keep it simple? But how do I use the words that resonate with my audience, which is really important too. Oh, the fun world of this like <laughs> online business. I love it. It's definitely a learning um, experience. I tell you, every day, you learn learning something experience. every day. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. What were some of the kind of struggles? So we've talked about copywriting is a little bit of a struggle. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, what else is kind of tough so for you? In the I business? think, um, so, you know, I've never been afraid of technology, but just getting up to speed with the technology, Ooh, like keeping I'm, up. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so like podcasts, for example, this is something that I've only encountered over the last three years. Um, and so I have, I didn't really listen to podcasts before 2014, 15. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to get up to speed on that and figure out how it all works. And then, um, you know, I'm launching online courses myself. And so learning oh, nice. that whole piece where, you yep. know, when you're in a university or a college or an on a campus there's people you go see who can help you do all those things and now you're kind of on your own um so i do reach out and get help when i need it of course but um but but yeah those are some of the challenges and just things like the business side in terms of knowing Mm -hmm. all the legal stuff and the structure Mm -hmm. stuff and yeah it's it's a big learning journey (laughs) so learn something every day i was i was kind of joking with some of my the people I was connecting with yesterday, I went to a business conference and it was like, yeah, like, you know, I thought I was getting a PhD and like becoming an entrepreneur, but then I was like, wait, there really is like no like end. Right. <laughs> like it's gonna, it's, you know, and I'm like, then no one's going to give me that. And I'm like, dude, I'm just going to do the best I can, which is totally a different flip of kind of the, um, the PhD journey. It's kind of like, okay, we know what the end goal is. Someone right. says I did it and I can, it doesn't quite happen in business. So it, <laughs> we have to be enough for ourselves instead of that external validation. But yeah, yeah, man, it's tough. So, um, you know, have you been hiring support and getting help in that way? Like mentorship? Have you um, who have you kind of looked to for some guidance on on some of this? Um, So I do listen to some of the the heavy hitters with the podcasting. And I've heard you mentioned several of those. And so, um, you know, but I don't listen to all of them. So I have to say your podcast is the first one I've listened to every episode. Like, I guess I caught it it early enough. And it's like in my lane, because what you're bringing to the table is this conversation what about how academics are really thinking about where they fit within this entrepreneurial world and mm-hmm. it's not the how-to it's there's something no. deeper and bigger there like you can go get the how-to's on a thousand sure. other podcasts this is something yep. different that um you know back in 2011 i didn't have anybody else to talk to or even listen mm. to about this and so um you know i, I just wanted to mention that before we our yeah. time is up just so that you know that it's, it's you're bringing something different to the table it's mm-hmm. not it's don't mm-hmm. come on here and learn how to make a, a you know, an opt-in. You know, you're not learning mm-hmm. that. You're coming here and learning these deeper, um, yeah. the, just having deeper I, conversations. I really appreciate that. That means a lot to me. And, you know, because part of me is like, yeah, because you can really go anywhere. And there's some amazing business podcasts out there and they're doing their thing. But then, you know, to be able to turn in and even just now the Facebook group that I that I recently opened with the podcast, it's like we're in there and we're like, OK, so I have this landing. Like now we can talk to each other. This interaction happened and I feel more comfortable talking to you about it because I don't get this world so much, especially for some of the new folks in this space. Um, and so I think I think part of it is is that emotional connection and what I feel what because I've learned a lot just by talking to people like it's been a healing experience for me um, 
what I think I'm feeling around this too is just the, um, I don't even know what it is. It's like, oh, there's more of me. So then it makes me feel like I can do it and that it makes my purpose a little bit bigger because um, in the day to day and running a business, and, and maybe you could speak to this too, you know, sometimes you, you do literally want to throw in the towel. I actually really recently, like about two or three weeks ago was like, I don't know if I could do this. I had a really bad day. I actually had a really bad month financially. Um, I, on the other side of it, I'm. it's amazing. And amazing things are falling into place. But it was kind of just the like, why am I doing this again? Like, what, what, what's happening? And then sure enough, you know, I get a message on Facebook from an old colleague or he posts a status. And there was a bomb threat at the school I used to work at. The same day that I said out loud, why am I doing this? And I'm like you know what? <laughs> I don't need to go back because literally the school I was at was like, you know, having this um, like experience. And I was just like, okay, universe, like, please make sure everyone's safe. And it ended up being fine. Like nothing went off, but there was a threat. Um, and then I was like, okay, the message is clear. Like I need to do this. And so I can turn to these interviews and get inspired by people's stories. And I know you're out there doing it. And I'm like, I can do it too, because there's these other academics who have done it and, um, and are doing it. And I think think that you need that thread through the day to day because sometimes you just are like, like even I was telling Barbie as we were like signing on, I was doing Facebook ads and that is not an easy feat. Um, and it can, it can be sometimes the most like tedious things. Just imagine like PowerPoint that isn't working and like the file isn't converting and you know, right. Like those Mm -hmm. times it's like that, but there's money behind it. So it's a little bit scarier. Um, anyways, I, so I appreciate that because I'm getting a lot of even doing the interviews. And so I'm just so grateful that people are willing to show up. They're listening absolutely, (laughs) Um, and they're getting something out of it because sometimes you wonder that too, but I think there's definitely something bigger here. And, um, there's a lot, there's a lot we all can learn about this stuff together. And I think, you know, every person I talk to at a conference now, since now that I've been, you know, it's been a few months now since I've had the podcast, they're just like, I ran into a therapist couple, sex therapist. Um, It was a psychologist who dropped out of her PhD program. And she's like, she was just like, it's, it's kind of ridiculous that we have all these like credentials and we know research on how to help people in relationships. (laughs) She's just like, people have been studying love and relationships for years. (laughs) And here I go and I just boil it down. I, you know, break it down into something simple. I explain what's happening theoretically, what the research shows, and then it's helping people. And she's just like, in academia, it was just like, sometimes you felt like you weren't actually helping anybody. And she, so I see there's such this powerful force coming if people ra- realized the amount of things that we know about our topic that we spent years studying, people will pay for that. <laughs> and it's okay to be paid for that. Right. <laughs> like that was my big thing. I don't know. So anyways, no, I thank think you. It's great. I, I really well, appreciate that. Absolutely. And you know, like I say, I listen to the other podcasts. I go and I read blogs and do whatever to solve whatever problem mm-hmm. I'm facing. Sort of that just in time, mm-hmm. just That's in time point. training or whatever. But but um, but there's something about an academic in an entrepreneurial 
role that is different and and there's a huge hole out there because I've listened to all these podcasts and you're the only one that tapped into that and I was like okay she gets it you know and it's and it's not teaching in k-12 it's not it's just a different environment and so that's what I was looking for but but you talk about where else to get help I mean those are the things that I do Mm. so you know business wise it's listening to podcast blogs kind of following the the people who do what I want to do and then you know in terms of my um, academic or discipline side it's really just going to conferences and I do have um, a mastermind group that I was invited to so we've been meeting for about a oh, year nice. yeah so that's been masterminds nice. are awesome yeah yeah especially when it's the right one so what did you so what um what does your business look like right now let's let's paint a picture of that so people can think so we've heard that you do a lot of speaking I know you do some pedagogical stuff and workshops pa- tell us where kind of the income streams are coming in from and also if you want to share a little bit about the evolution because I also like to paint the picture that you know the first thing you decide to do and and start getting paid for may not be the thing your business becomes. right that's great and I have a quite a story about this so um, okay. so Good. My business is called Flip It Consulting, F-L-I-P, Flip mm. It Consulting. And I created this acronym based on my teaching philosophy and my research in pedagogy and active learning. It was all about flipping the energy to the students, like switching it, turning it, it to them, right? Have them be actively yeah. engaged. And I'm like, okay, that's what I'm all about. And so I put an acronym. I, I, I it's, It means focus on your learners by involving them in the process. All right. So you're focused on them actively being engaged and doing stuff and creating things in class. Okay. So great. Got the business out there. I bet six, eight months later, this whole thing happened to explode on the internet called flipping the classroom Flip learning yeah i was gonna yeah. i was wondering if it was inspired by that or it was part yeah the, had the physicist nothing to do with it yeah. at all it was mm-hmm. totally parallel and i was like okay this is either really good or really bad so mm. i kind of watched the journey and i kept putting my voice out there because I, br- I have a different take on this ah, flipped classroom nice. well that's good model um for me it's bigger than you yes. know videos and so forth it's about yeah. active learning and and uh and i'm like okay this is what i'm all about i'm gonna just keep that voice out there and i'm just gonna keep going and so I think it was probably yeah because people were having the conversation about how to do it well yeah I think yeah yes so I had to clarify for them you know what my interpretation was and what I found was that faculty in higher education really resonated Mm -hmm. with this more flexible Mm -hmm. model However, now what I've noticed over the last, I would say, two years is that people either A, already know what the flip classroom is and what it's about and they're already doing it, or B, they're so tired of hearing about it, they don't want you to say the word oh, flip anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So two years ago, I um, rebranded my mm. website and my business and named it just barbiehoneycut.com. Yeah. So that's what yeah. it is. So, so you have your flip it method, but it's not like yes. the leading name of your business. It's not the mm-hmm. leading thing mm-hmm. anymore. No. So now it's just a piece of it. And that was a huge mm-hmm. shift in my mindset. Mm-hmm. And it was a huge shift in my business because now I could promote other things. Yes. And I could grow and I could. Yeah. So that's so the one personal piece of brand. advice I was going to share. Yeah. Now yes. a personal brand. Yeah. Yes. So I was going to share that as just a huge learning experience for me, which is, you know, go ahead and just name whatever it is. Just, just do, do it. Because yep. you can always change yep. it later. It's true. <laughs> you know, um, so just don't get caught up in don't. that. Don't. Yeah. You know? just and move I forward. was at this the business conference yesterday and there was a lawyer that was there, which was fantastic. So people were asking some good questions. Um, and, you know, they this is smart because I think someone asked, like, look, I can't hire a lawyer to, like, comb over everything in my business right now. Right. It's new. Mm-hmm. What are some of the first things I need to do? And I do think 
think it's really smart that if you aren't doing personal branding and you are thinking of coming up with a name, do the trademark search because if you build this amazing thing behind yes. it and you find out you can't use the name and you built this audience, like you definitely don't want that the opposite to happen either. So um, there are so, like a like a few little hacks that you can do around that because you know yes there's there's you can't use certain names and 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 that kind of thing and so that is really important so i would just kind of give that advice as well um but i love that yeah you were tapping and that that's the amazing thing did you read um elizabeth gilbert's big magic Yes, yeah, I did. Yeah, like yes. that idea that like it's in the air and if you don't do it, like someone is also feeling it and it's not if yes. you don't do it, but like ideas happen kind of, um, yeah, because we're responding to our social world. There's, you know, tech developments happening. And so, of course, people will all over the world have similar ideas. It's just who's actually going to execute them. So you that was your point. Mm-hmm. Like take action, give it a shot. It doesn't have to be perfect, which is kind of the opposite of everything we've ever thought about. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, that that Don't was do a that. huge thing too. Yes. <laughs> right? There's no dissertation <laughs> yes. committee that you have to like worry about. This is just you. Right. Um, and we can get, you know, kind of wrapped up in that for various reasons. And in some ways it's a it's a good, you know, thing to have. But I think in business, um, and especially in yeah, getting something out there, ship it, right? The Seth Godin thing. You have to ship it because then, and we know this as teachers, so then this we innately, innately know, which is the first time you teach your class or the first time you run a workshop is not going to be the best time. <laughs> and you're going right. to make so many edits and changes after. So if you can look at it like that, right? That it doesn't have to be perfect because this is the thing it will be like forever. It's like, nope, you need a response from your customers, which you can look at as students and be like, okay, what do they need? Right. How can I do it better? Exactly. So, I love that. Exactly. Great advice. So yeah, you asked, thank you. You, you asked about the business, what I do. So mm-hmm. uh, most of the revenue comes from speaking. Nice. So clearly leading those workshops, getting out there and doing that. Um, I also last year launched um, my first um, couple of online courses. So there, there awesome. are many courses. Um, so faculty are super busy. I know mm-hmm. that. So <laughs> I, I have these many courses that take 45 minutes or less that they can do. Um, and then this summer, can they get like professional development credits for that and stuff so I, i'm trying to figure out how that might work i did um i did right now they're just sort of one-off workshops but last summer i launched a certificate program so ah. i lasted through the summer um and i had campuses like sending faculty yeah. to it in groups so like there might be 10 faculty from this department or five from this department and so they would earn a certificate from me mm-hmm. and then that could be recognized on their campus in some way oh, and so cool. i'd like I'd like to do more of that. That's kind of the next phase I of the might, business. Is I that. might have a connection for you because my husband, at least in the state of California, it's a little, yeah, the chancellor's office is making some decisions about, you know, what counts as, as uh, faculty development or whatever. And, um, and his campus has this whole like, kind of resource bank of like, oh, you can listen to this or this. But I don't know how they get on that page. And he very well may know who the contact is for that school. And they may have insights. And I don't know if it's a California thing. And you know how everyone kind of operates within their own districts. But, you know, California is a, the, one of the largest community college systems in the country. So, um, you know, us following those rules and, and uh, you know, getting our hours, a lot of faculty love doing that kind of stuff and not having to go somewhere, you know, right. just kind of bang it that. out. So, um, you know, follow up with me after the podcast and Derek, as he's listening right now, might uh, be able to remem- remind himself of, of who's in charge of that on his ca- his old campus. Um, that would be amazing. Yeah, because yeah. and you. then they might just have some insights. And this is this is how you build a business, guys, is you, you connect with each <laughs> other and go, oh, I can help you. I think I might know somebody. 
Yes. Yes. It. Thank you so much for that connection. So that's kind of the next phase. The other thing cool. I do is um, self-publish some books. So I have five books that I self-published and I sell those and that, that creates a nice little nice. revenue stream. And Are you selling that through great. your website or on Amazon? I or am. What's your, yeah, yeah. It's both, both. So I sell them both. Um, and so they're on my website, which you can, you know, they can get in a digital format or a print format and then also on Amazon for the Kindle. Nice. So that was a huge learning experience too, like figuring all that stuff out. Oh, I bet. <laughs> um, you could teach a lot yeah, of people how so to do that. Doing too. things like that; those are probably the three biggest, um, you know, the three revenue streams right now that really work for what my business is right now. So awesome, very cool. So, what's your? Where are you headed? What are your kind of big goals or your vision so for I, your business? I really want to experiment with this this online professional development a little more. You know, where where do I fit within mm. that? What can I offer? Is it certificate courses more? Is it more of these mini courses? Or, um, you know, what, what exactly mm. does that look like? What are faculty going to respond to? So I, I want to do a little more work with that. I've only been doing it for a year. Um, so I, I'd like to see mm-hmm. if there's any opportunity there, um, which I feel like there is, but there has to be. If anyone's listening. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> right. Like um, definitely connect Barbie if there's someone on your campus that does this or or um, you know what your campus looks for you know because I agree like as as a faculty member you know um, the support we're looking for we may not be getting on our campus because of budget constraints and that kind of thing but the campus may be able to purchase licenses or something that um, you know then can support the faculty in a, a little bit smaller of a price point potentially than having you come out and then it kind of lasts for a while or whatever this the the licensing is I think that's another thing huh with, yes. that you would have to look into is the the licensing like what's the smart business you know angle mm-hmm. of it like mm-hmm. um is it something that they pay yearly for which might be a model you can use or is it a one sell for certain number of people until you update it or something like that right. so there's probably a lot of different ways that that plays out well and there's there's two audiences that I serve in, and you know this is another mm. piece of advice for for listeners and I'm still working on this you know I know in my head that I serve this sort of business to campus model where I'm trying to yeah. reach a campus and they're going to hire me an individual faculty member does not hire me to come and talk to their campus You're right no you know, it's a nope. provost or a dean or department head or a teaching center director but then I also when I write and I have a book or um, I do this little these little mini courses that's for the individual that's faculty for the member. individual yep. so I have two 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 audiences, two customers, if you will, that Mm -hmm. I need to speak to. And so um, that's been something that I've struggled with a little bit on my website. Just how do you talk to both audiences, you know, Mm -hmm. on the same site? And so um, I've just kind of been thinking through that. So if somebody has a really good model, uh, send it to Lindsay and pass it along to me. (laughs) I've seen people actually have their landing page, like the initial, they kind of call it a welcome mat of sorts, but you could actually do it in kind of a long form kind of website where the, the homepage basically basically ask straight up, are you an institution, right, that works with professional development or are you an individual teacher looking for in-classroom support? And then the person kind of chooses their own path and then they're actually in a new like not a new website, but they pick the way that they that they want to go. Um, I'm trying to think if I've seen a model of it, but um, I think it, it might be a website journey kind of wireframing situation nice. that you could potentially do. And so, um, yeah. I like that. Thank you. That's a good yeah, su- suggestion. So the only other thing I have on the plate is I recently um, wrote a blog post about what I call the scholarly entrepreneur. So oh, people- I love that. When I saw your tweet yeah. and I was like, that is so cool. I love that language. That I, resonates with me. Okay, yeah. well, that's 
that's great. It's just I've, I've been thinking about this for a while. And I think that's how I found you was just starting to really look for like who thinking are these academics that. out there that are doing businesses because they're out mm-hmm. there. I just need to find mm-hmm. them. And so I just put it out there. I actually had um, four people personally email me the same like 24 hours and say, Barbie, this is exactly what I was looking for. And I'm like, well, I don't even know what I'm going to do with this. I just want to connect with other people, you know, who, yeah. are, who are scholars building businesses who yep. may have a business based on their scholarship, which is what I have, yeah. you know. Um, yes, yes, yes. And I know some of your guests don't. They have something totally separate. Yeah, from theirs, some people just are using the skills. Yeah, right. exactly. Yep. Um, so I'm just kind of reaching out to see what's there and just kind of start yeah. a conversation. So I love it. And yeah, I mean, that's and that I just feel so like excited about that because and and excited about the people that emailed you because it like I, it's just like again I, like the more I am showing up even in what I thought was a bubble it is a bubble of this entrepreneurship space but where I felt like I was the only one and every event I go to I meet someone or a friend or a connection comes running up to me and says you have to talk to this person you have to talk to this person and almost like this means that like there's going to be such power when we like really truly come together and I what I my vision for the podcast like and for you know what this is is like really showing people because I think it's just interesting and I'd love to hear your take on this because I feel like you've been a little more active in this than I have um, and that's you know gonna change for me but you know the whole like alt-ac, post-ac, kind of all of that conversation around academics who kind of just are not in academia anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Or are independent scholars in whatever way that looks like, but maybe working in careers or stuff. But they're really, like there's there's some people kind of talking about it, but it still feels very academic to me in the way they're talking about it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very like oh, okay, so like, here's how you do this and this, which is all important. But like, part of me is just like, that, that uh, there's something more in your face about people starting a business and making money that they deserve with the knowledge that they've gathered that triggers me a little bit because it's like, and I think it's like a money thing, Mm -hmm. right? I think it comes down to, and I was playing in my head with like, what is it? What is a rich academic? What is wealthy academic? Like the wealthy professor. Mm. And I'm just like, part of me is just like, that just sounds like opposite. Right. And it's like, <laughs> why do we do that? Like, what are we, what is wrong? You know? And I think when you start to kind of play with that and you're like, Oh, that makes me a little uncomfortable. Um, but then you know you're like on the like the edge or like you're you're on the edge of something because there is uh, it's like it hasn't been voiced yet right. or really pulled together in a way that is like what if we had businesses what if we were making a lot of money what how would we be like putting it back into the world um, with our critical thinking and our you know our attention to detail and our like discipline and just these other amazing skills that we had doing the work that we did. Um, Um, And like, what if it was this empowering thing? And there's so many people, there's a lot of people I've talked to that like dropped out of the PhD and like decided to do a business and just the mental health aspects of that, the emotional, um, just 
the emotional drain that academia has on you. And so to me, um, yeah, I had someone come up to me at the end of something when I first introduced myself as also someone who has this podcast and she's just like, your brand, your and what you're doing represents hope. Mm. And I was just like, oh shit, (laughs) (laughs) you're so right. And I'm like, I was looking for it and you were looking for it and we're doing it. So it's like, how do we model it and how do we connect with each other and how do we make this thing grow even more? Because I know there's a lot of people who they just didn't even know this was a, a possibility. Agreed. And that's actually, for some some cases, the only thing that would take them to move right. on. Well, you know, you mentioned the Alt-Ac um, sort of hashtag mm-hmm. or movement. And um, mm-hmm. the way that I encountered it the first time as being an alternative academic was in the position that I was in in the graduate school and the teaching center. Oh, I bet. So, yeah, because you're, you're like supporting faculty, supporting right. students. So you're not mm-hmm. on the academic track. You're not on a professor track. No. You're not faculty. Yeah. But... Uh, you're you're still doing this scholarly work and you still need that PhD and you still or some higher degree you know and yeah in, definitely in the university I needed a, a PhD to be able to do this work and so um, now I wonder if alt ac is taking on some of this entrepreneurial spirit mm-hmm. or not or, or not. if it hasn't been named yet yeah. you know maybe it hasn't been named yet maybe it hasn't been a thing yet I don't know yeah um, it is it's fascinating to me though it's very interesting and I've been trying to read a little more about sort of uh, academic entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and uh, what that means. And a lot of times it's based on a university's campus, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's a, it's a, it's a faculty member who's taking, say they get a big grant and they do, they invent something. It's still on their campus. So interesting. Entrepreneurial, but it's not outside of the campus. So I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. And the complicating, Um, I think think it's the complicating, um, of the term uh, entrepreneur, right? Like what does that mean? Yeah. What is that? It's a Valerie Reed and in, in her episode, we got, into that a little bit at the very end uh, because we were talking about, I think the way I even asked the question, like, oh, when did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? And it's like, oh, my dad was and he owned a shop on the corner. And it's like, right. yeah, like it's not just, but you know what it is? I And this was, I, I think I went in, into a little bit about this. It's, you know, it has never been easier to start a business. It has never been um, easier to get customers um, with the technology that we have, right? Yes. Um, And so we're able to connect with each other and be like, oh, that was hard for you. Like, I can help you do that. Or like, you know, this is how you solve it. Like, just watch this blog, you know, right? Read this blog post, listen to this uh, podcast, watch this video and you can get, you know, your PayPal set up to your product. And that's like a really big deal, right? Like that (laughs) That is a really big deal. Really big deal. Like how are you actually going to get money? Like kind of a big deal. Um, And so uh, I think it's been, it's never been easier. And I'm I'm trying to communicate that like through some of these stories. Um, But, and then there's like things like Shark Tank and all these Kickstarters and people making all this money on Etsy and Amazon. And there's, and, and then the share economy. We are just in an era of the consumer having a lot of power and access and a very educated, you know, population of people that are able to solve some problems for people. And so <laughs> that's mixing quickly. Like that, that is something like you were saying, even two years ago with um, like flipped you know, that, that, that language and that kind language. of thing has changed. Mm-hmm. This is of course the sociology of me, like totally geeking out the sociologist, but yeah, I just like, I, I see this trend and that's the cool thing. And it, and it, and it's only going to get bigger because if you think about how many people 
are realizing this, like it's very small right now. And like what the world needs or can benefit from this is huge. And so that part of me is just like, now is the time. Now is the time to start a, you know, thousand dollar extra side income because it's possible. Um, but yeah, the, the complicating of the entrepreneur and the alt act hashtag, which, you know, I don't actually know how long it's been around, um, but I'm sure that's what I love about Twitter is that the fact that there's communities that are finding each other and they're able to have these conversations um, and you can be a fly on the wall in the conversations or you are a participant, but you can see, you can tap into what's going on. And it, it's just interesting that there's no connection around it. So yeah, I, I actually am like thinking of starting a Twitter chat. I know we mentioned it in the Facebook group a little bit. I mentioned it and I was like, I don't, I've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, we need to name this. And, you know, I was I was talking with the women that have the with a PhD hashtag as well. And she's like, yeah, you got to think about like what makes your hashtag different and like what you're offering that that alt act post act with a PhD, you know, kind of language isn't like what is different. And I'm like, it's the business part. It's the like, just start your own business or be in business. And there's something about that word. I think like we, I was mentioning that feels a little bit of opposite of the word academia. And I mean, that's actually why I named the podcast this. I had such issues with, I mean, I still don't, you know, the higher education is a business. It is, it's, you know, it is, uh, do all practices in business need to be in education? No, it is a public good and it should remain a public good. And I will fight to that to the death, but it doesn't mean (laughs) that I can't start a business um, that is supporting what the higher education system isn't doing or what other things aren't being done in society. And so that's where it's, it was, it was something I had to get over. So that Mm -hmm. says to me that, Oh, there's probably other people thinking this exact thing. And so I want to do something called biz act, which is just this idea idea of what is it what does it mean to ha- be an academic with a business but hopping on to that that hashtag right like really kind of angling it and being like you know I'm in this community too and there's a lot of us in here that may not know it um uh so yeah so I I I think there is something to enter into the conversation around this because it is different to start an online business or run a service-based business yourself versus being hired by somebody or, you know, going and working for a corporation or something, which is also outside of the academy. Right. No, I love that. Yeah. 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 And I definitely want people to just know that it's possible and not, I don't want to paint the picture that it's easy because it's not easy. Um, you know, but that it's possible and that I think working towards something like, there, there's something that feels so different in my day to day, like having control over my own business. Yes. <laughs> um, than it does when I was teaching, and, well, and, and um, for the me, responsibility that comes for with me, that. it's the the creativity. Um, oh, yes. I, right? If my creativity gets stifled, I just can't shut down. Like I just mm. can't. And so I felt that a lot my last year on um, in my full time position at the university, and that's when I knew like it's it's time for me to go. Like there's I tried to make things happen. I looked around, tried to see what else was out there, but I knew that it was time. And so now I love, like you're saying, every day I have control over what I do. I can yep. be as creative as I want to be. I can experiment. I can make drop a new something. class. Yeah, yeah, I can do whatever. Totally. And I love that. And I think it is we really cool. are, I think there are 
not only faculty or people who are in academics looking for this, but I think our students are, are going to probably Ooh, yes. also be looking at this and wondering, yep. okay, what's the value of this degree that I'm getting that I'm paying thousands mm-hmm. and thousands of dollars for mm-hmm. and, and what do I want to do with it? And what's going to be the opportunities that are there for me, you know, when I graduate and a lot of students are starting businesses or trying to think about yep. what other ways they can um, sort of make a living and make a difference, you know? Mm. Um, so Yeah. I love that you brought that up because that is really important to me too. Uh, yeah. I, I think Kat Malinsky and I, in our episode, we talked a little bit. Yeah, the dropout rate for PhD programs is like 50%. I don't mm-hmm. think I ever really realized that. Um, and that's high, right? And it comes with a lot of shame and feelings of failure and, you know, all the quitlet out there, right? right. So, um, I, you know, that's also it, like the hope that like you didn't fail, that like you, even if you stopped a little bit and decided that this wasn't for you, that it's a really smart decision in so many other ways you can look at it as, as far as like what faculty jobs are even available, if that was your path, like, and, um, that's the other side of it, man, is like to really kind of eradicate the, like, I don't even, it's not like academic poverty because I I won't want to go like that, but like the adjunct poverty that is happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is something that really just doesn't sit right with me um, in the way we're setting up our system. And so we're hiring more and more part-timers. They're not getting the, uh, you know, the safety and support that a full-time gig offers, um, but they're also not even being paid a like living wage. Like there's a real true problem with that. And so what can, what we're doing, Barbie, like inspire people to go do because they are smart and they've done some amazing stuff with their lives. They don't have to, you know, stick with it just because they feel like they have to. And I think there is something around, um, the personality of someone as an academic who like what type of person goes on to get a PhD, which is very small portion of the population and you know how that's all tied up with our, our identity and if we're good enough or not, I have my own shit around that. And so <laughs> I think as long as I can just show other ways of being, um, and still being an academic, um, uh, that then I'm doing what I, what I need to be doing. Absolutely. And you know, um, I, I I listened to the most recent podcast you had, um, which, uh, well, it was Sarah. The, Sarah Fox, uh, anyway. probably, I yes, think. Yeah. Yes, And so she, um, I just remember listening to her and, and just having these ideas. I'm like, you know, there's something that we bring to the table that's different than what um, other business owners might bring to yep. the table. Because yep. we have the research and the scholarship, and, and we probably didn't pursue that unless we had some sort of passion or question or need. Mm. And then we also have that theoretical foundation from which all this is grounded. Huge. And, you know, when you put all that together, that's like a triple or quadruple threat, right? I mean, you know. Yeah, it's, it really you, is. We, and I think if we can embrace that and we can really make an impact on this this entrepreneurial mm. world because we can have a voice that stands out from people who are just like, OK, well, this is something I want to try. Uh, I, you yeah. know, we also have that experience, you know, and so there's some real value there if we can figure out how to make that mm. intersection between those things happen. But the other thing that can, we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot because, you know, you, you said yeah. it earlier where it's like academics, we we we, we come up in this very critical environment. I mean, we have to, we have to question each other. We have to question the v- validity of data. We have to question what your research is about. I mean, we have to do that, but it really makes you question yourself as a, a business owner mm. or a teacher or an educator or a writer or whatever it is you're going to go do. And so um, there's going to yep. be this moment where any academic who steps into this world is going to have to put that voice 
in the back and just go for it, yep. you know, because uh, yep. you, you can let all those critics out there and all those people who are trying to shut it down uh, make you not even take one step forward. So um, that's something. Oh, we, that's important. Yeah, we really have to kind of let go of that critical voice. Keep it there just enough so you know. Because it does benefit us. And, yeah, and I, yeah, I think it's how we take that in that critical voice. And that was Kat Malinsky was my dissertation coach. That's what she helped me realize, right? Mm-hmm. So it's that voice that was back, you know, back when you were writing that dissertation and at, you know, am I good enough to be, you know, toe to toe with these, you know, these amazing researchers or my advisor and that voice that tells you like, can you do this is it's going to come back. It yep. just, <laughs> it's, it's a little different. Um, and it's, and it, but, um, you know, it's definitely there. So that voice never goes away, but it's like how we react to how it. You react to it you and what, you, what mm-hmm. you do with it. And I remember the very first time I was thinking about starting a business and I did talk to a, a coach just to, like two or three times just to kind of work on some of these ideas I was having and she said Barbie the mm-hmm. reason you can't move forward is because you suffer from analysis paralysis and I'm like yep, yep you just yes, nailed it that language is <laughs> you perfect just nailed yeah. it. and so you know that's another thing too is you can just get too much information sometimes and not yep. move forward and yep. so just yep. gotta just turn gotta in do the it. lit review yeah. it is done it is ready <laughs> exactly <laughs> anyway I just yeah. want to share <laughs> I love that. No, thank you. Because I like getting, I think these kind of deep discussions that we're having around what's going on in our heads, um, that someone is listening and like, oh my gosh, that's exactly how I feel. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's just important conversations to be talking about. And you're right. I mean, again, the more business events I go to, the more I start showing up as an academic who has a business Mm -hmm. and less last year, I was very focused on, I was an entrepreneur and yes, sometimes I would mention my background and people love that I was a, a past professor that they do love that story right right? right. but I wasn't really like owning my academicness and like and so now I'm like owning it and what's cool to watch is people are like you know the credibility which is part of the character you build especially when it comes to a personal brand selling a product people buy things from people they trust and there's a lot of not that online. I'll just say that. Like there's a lot of stuff of, you know, people are doing the best they can with the information they have and that's cool. And everyone, you know, I think everyone should be allowed to give this a shot, but there's some credibility that we walk into that like other people just do not have. Um, and so, um, and it's not just like, oh, we just get credibility, but like, obviously the, the things that that credibility means is the, is the, uh, you know, all the skills that you were talking about that we bring to the table that a lot of these other business owners don't have. So it, it is easy, easier to be known. Um, I don't know what the right word is to be associated with like, um, just, a th- well, they use the term thought leader in some of the circles mm-hmm. that I'm in, which I think is an interesting <laughs> word, but, um, <laughs> I've unpacked that a little bit, but, but yeah, like this idea is being seen as a thought leader. Like that's what we've been doing. Like, like what you are as an academic is you're a, you're the original thought leader. Like you're, you're literally taking the ideas of other people and you're like, okay, cool. And here's where the pivot is, or here's where I push it a little bit, or here's where, you know, I draw these connections that no one's ever drawn before. And that is so valuable in business. Um, and I didn't even realize it. And I was in it and I was like, this is fun. Cause I like doing this kind of stuff. I love connecting things and seeing things and, um, and noticing trends and patterns, um, which is, you know, why I studied what I studied, but, um, but, but it's, it's a skill set that a lots of answer, uh, or academics have. And so, and it's something that benefits you in business, in marketing, right? In, uh, which is something I never thought I would 
be good at, but we, we can be because we can actually analyze stuff. And there's a lot of other people that aren't taking that, that, um, that step or that angle or, or producing things with the care that we do because of our work. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's comes to the courses and the workshops and uh, how we show up online. There's, there's a level of care that we have, not that not other business owners have it, but it's something that's like built into it. Again, how we've been socialized in the institution, like you brought up the critical piece of it, which is important to our work, but can also, you know, damage us in some ways, but it is helpful. It is definitely just how we choose to listen to it and act on it. So, Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can get to the point where you listen to it and have too much fear and never move forward. And that's not what it's about. Yeah. So be like Barbie. Get on that <laughs> that's plane. Right, get on that plane. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. If you could just maybe end with uh, what advice you, you could give, what you wish you knew when you first started or anything oh my like goodness. that. Um, okay, mm-hmm. I will. Uh, so I've shared quite a few little Uh, tips throughout here but one that I didn't share was to start small Um, I started too big at first I was like oh I could teach corporate trainers how to flip I could teach academics how to flip I can teach any kind of teacher out there how to flip and I'm like oh Barbie it's too big but uh, and so I was wrestling with this beast Mm. that was just too big those are three very different audiences who need to be spoken to in very different ways Um, so I stopped everything and just said all right I'm only going to focus on higher ed like that's it and so when I scaled Mm. it down that's when I was able to really make a difference in my business and move forward. It doesn't Huge. mean that I can't add stuff later, um, but I, you got to start with what you know and start small enough that you can actually make some some actual difference to a group. So I guess that would be the last so piece of good. advice. Start small. Start small. That is huge advice, guys. Yeah. And I, it's funny because as an academic, like I remember when I came into this and I was like, I, I, like I was helping people with courses and I was like, oh my God, I never realized that people needed this help. And so I just started doing it. But I really had this, vi- like I knew where I was going. I was like, oh, I will do this. Like then there's that confidence that we have as academics. <laughs> Once we feel like we know something or we've set our mind to it, it's like, oh, like I have no doubt, Barbie, that you could have done all of those <laughs> niches and probably done them well. Um, and that's the thing is we have to actually filter because we could, you would probably succeed at all of those things because that's what we do. When we, you know, take on that challenge, we do it. So the so I think you have to ask yourself those good questions of like, what's the one I really feel passionate about? Like what maybe might be easier for me to get some of my first clients? Like these are all questions to ask yourself because that first, you know, the initial beginning of your business is like the most important right. time, right? And um, being able to maintain that. And so starting small, I mean, that's like amazing advice. I love that. Thank you. Awesome. Well, I am just, this was a fun conversation, Barbie. This was great. Thank you. I am so glad that you were able to stop by and hang out with us and we will be on again. There is, there is some other conversations to be had. I, I feel like, and um, I just am just delighted to have found you online that we ran into each other. And I just look forward to like helping each other and watching this, uh, this whole thing grow because there's something here Agreed. that we're a part of. And I'm just <laughs> glad you're doing it by my side. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much.